Once upon a time. Welcome to a new episode of Discover Oral Teaching. This episode is all about telling a story in an interesting and lively way. I hope you learned the story by heart and now know it so well that you don't have to pay attention to remembering the story anymore, but that you are able to focus now on how to tell the story. Please don't be afraid of telling a story. Don't think that you are not a good storyteller. I'm totally convinced that we as humans are made to tell stories and actually tell stories almost all the time when we meet friends and family, when we share about our lives and what we experienced. So probably unconsciously you already do a lot of what I will tell you soon. In my courses, I always show my students two different ways of telling a story. This being a podcast is of course not really working since you only hear my voice. I can't have eye contact with you, you don't see my facial expressions, my gestures, my body language, the space I use. But since our voice is a very strong communication tool, I will try it anyway. And I hope it will still work to some extent. While you are listening, try to see for yourself what do you like, what works. When are you actually listening with interest and when is your attention wandering away? So here it comes, the first poor example. Okay, um, so there was um, a priest and, um, okay, no, it, no, it was a Pharisee. And the Pharisee, he, um, he had invited Jesus and um, to his home. For, for some food and, and Jesus he came and he he sat down yeah and and then um so in that town there was also a lady or you no know, maybe more yeah a woman and people knew her and they they somehow they said well she's She's not moral, she has immoral behavior, and well, that woman, she, um, she heard about Jesus, and then she got some oil, and then she, she went there to, to the house, to the Pharisee's house, yes, and so she, she approached Jesus, and then, um, she cried, and... So then some tears fell on Jesus' feet, so she, she dried the feet, and then she kissed the feet, and then she anointed the feet, and then she, um, yeah, she did this, yeah, exactly. So then the Pharisee, he saw that. Okay, I stop here. I won't finish the story since it will take too much time. And most likely, I would have lost you by the end of it. Here now, the hopefully better example. For those who want to actually see it and don't mind hearing it in German, you can go on YouTube and you can type in my name, Birte Papenhausen, and then Lukas, so L-U-K-A-S, and then 7, 39 to 50. That's the Bible passage. And then it will show up quite low. You have to scroll down to find it. If you don't want to, just listen to it. 
So here the story comes again. A Pharisee had invited Jesus to his home for dinner. And Jesus had come and he sat down at the table. There was a woman in town who was well known for her immoral behavior. When she heard that Jesus was a guest at the Pharisee's place, she took an alabaster jar with perfume and very expensive oil and went to that place. She approached Jesus from behind and then started to cry. Some of her tears fell on Jesus' feet and she dried his feet with her hair. And then she kissed his feet. And she anointed his feet with the expensive oil. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw that, he thought for himself, when that man really is a prophet, well, he would know who this woman is who is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. Jesus turned to him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. And the Pharisee answered, Master, please, tell. There were two men, Jesus started, and both had debt with a moneylender. The one man owed him fifty denarii, the other five hundred. Both men couldn't pay their debt, so the moneylender cancelled their debts and let them go. Well, what do you think? Who of the two men will feel more gratitude towards that moneylender? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one whose bigger debt was cancelled. Right, Jesus answered. You answered correctly. And then he pointed at the woman and he said, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't even give me water to wash my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You didn't even give me a welcome kiss. But she has not stopped kissing my feet since she entered. You didn't anoint my head with comb and normal oil. But she anointed my feet with very expensive oil. Well, I can tell you how that happens. Her many sins are forgiven. That's why she loves me very much. Whose little sins are forgiven, they also love little. And then he turned to the lady and said, Your sins are forgiven. The other people in the room turned to each other and they asked themselves, Who is that man that he can forgive sins? And Jesus continued with the woman and said, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, I hope you heard the difference. And at my courses, I usually let the students compare these two examples. And they have to share what worked for them, what didn't. What is drawing the interest of the audience to the story and what is boring. Well, again, this is a podcast and not an interactive lesson. So I will just tell you what helps to tell a story in a lively way. First, you really need to have some energy in your body, in your face and in your eyes. You call that stage presence. So if you are there and you don't really have any energy in your body, people will not be interested at looking at you. And usually, 
You get energy in your body by being enthusiastic about your story. If you like what you tell, if you're convinced that what you will tell the people is worth listening to, you will have some excitement in your face and in your voice and you have some energy in your body. So you need to have a stage presence. Then you should have contact with the listeners. Very often it is eye contact. You should look at the people and don't just stare at one person all the time. That makes that person very uncomfortable. No, let your eyes wander to all the people who are listening. Then have an inner attitude to tell the story and don't teach. When we teach, we have a different attitude, we have a different voice, we feel like we are superior, we know more and we now teach the others. When you tell a story, you are equal to your listeners and you just tell them something. So tell, don't teach. Then it is always helpful when you know different places where your story takes place. So if there is a lake or a mountain or a crowd, place that mountain, the lake and the crowd somewhere in that room. Maybe you can point at them or you just look at them, but by placing them in the room, you have created the space where the story is happening and your audience will also know where is the crowd, where is the mountain, where is the sick person or the temple or whatever is occurring in your story. Then please use your own voice. Don't get an artificial voice. Use your own voice and use a lot of adjectives. If you use adjectives, the story gets more atmosphere. And also use pictorial language. What I mean with that is that you should use words that bring pictures in the minds of your hearers. For example, when I say a person goes around a building, I'm quite sure that you won't have many pictures in your head with that because it's too general. A person, is it a man? Is it a woman? Is it a child? Is it an old person? A sick person? Is it a sportsman running? We don't know. It's too general. Also, going is too boring. It's not specific enough. So it doesn't give you any pictures. Again, building too general, too broad. Is it a church? Is it a mall? Is it a skyscraper? So you don't know. The building is not giving you any pictures. But if I say the thief sneaks around the villa, I'm quite sure that you got pictures immediately. So try to use words that are not general but more specific so that people will have pictures in their minds. And then you should use your voice. Now at this podcast with my storytelling, you only had the voice. You can have different intonations. You can have different voices for different people speaking. You can also have different speeds. Sometimes you speak faster, sometimes you speak slower. You can use breaks. Very often, before you want to say something important, you have a short pause. And with that, the intention will increase and people will listen more carefully to what you are saying. You can also have a different volume. You can say something very loud or softly. And you can also turn indirect speech into direct speech. When you have direct speech, then you can also use different voices for different characters. Then, of course, you have gestures. And some people like to move their hands a lot. Some people don't do it at all. My advice is to only use gestures 
when they support the story. Otherwise, your movements will distract the listeners from what you're saying. Movements are always more powerful than words. So movements draw more attention than words. If your movements don't have a meaning, just keep your hands still, don't move. But if you have gestures that support the story, use it and use it every time you tell the story so that people will connect your gestures with the story and when they retell the story, they will probably also use your gestures. Then you can use facial expressions. That is something that should come naturally by being in the story. I really strongly recommend not to practice in front of a mirror. That really does not work. It does more harm than it's helpful. Just when you are in the story, most likely your facial expression will be fitting to what you're telling. And of course, facial expression also depends on the culture you are in. Some cultures use more facial expressions than others. You can also use movements. If you have the space, if you are standing, you can put your characters in different places. So when you stand on that spot, you are Peter. When you stand on that spot, you are Jesus. Or the lady and the Pharisee would be in different places. The lake would be somewhere else than the mountain. So you could move there if you want. And you can also have a place where the narrator is and then another place where the action is happening. You can also think of props. So these are objects that you can use. I usually don't use them because, again, they are often more distractive than that they are helpful. But if they have a really big meaning in the story and if you think a prop would be good for the audience to see also as a reminder, then you can, of course, use props. All these are just suggestions. Don't think you have to use all of these things. Often, less is more. And in the end, you are only the storyteller. You are the servant of the story. The people should remember your story and not you. If they're so excited about you being such an excellent storyteller and they just mimic you, but they have not listened to what you say, you did not reach your goal. The story is the main thing. Then, please find your own style. Some like to move, others don't. Some are very good with different voices, others are better with facial expressions. As long as you tell the story as yourself, not making a show, and as long as you are enthusiastic about the content of the story, people will listen to you and they will like listen to you. So be bold and try it out. Tell people you're doing the storytelling course and that you have homework to do and that you need some audience and ask them if they would be willing to listen to this story and most people are very eager to help. Before I finish, I want to address one more issue. It might happen, maybe because you teach with a curriculum at school or church, that you have to tell a story which you can't choose yourself and which you maybe don't like so much or you know too well and it's almost boring and you just don't feel a lot of excitement about telling that story. Then here are some questions which might help you to find a new perspective to the story and which helps you to be able to tell the story with some excitement. So you don't have to answer all six of the questions. Just find one or two which work for you to get a new 
entrance to the story and to tell it. So the first question is, where is the love in the story? We humans are thriving on love. It's often our main motive. And God, being love, knows that very much. And so where in the story is love? And also where is the missing love? You know, is there someone who is not loved at all or would be like to be loved but is rejected and the love is not returned? So where is the love? The second question, what is new? What has not been there before? Very often we know the Bible stories too well and we know already, oh yeah, the storm will be stilled and oh yeah, that person will be healed. But for the people at that time, in that situation, it was totally new. It was mind-blowing. For example, that Jesus touched the lepers. It was really not common. No one touched these people. They had to go around and say unclean, unclean, so that people could have a distance to them. And Jesus touched them, so that was totally new. And then that they got healed and Jesus did not get sick was also really new. So thinking of these elements, what happens in the story that has never happened before or was really new to the people at that time can be a good indicator for what the story is about and that can make us excited as well. Then think about the driving force. What is the driving force of the story? If you would leave it out, then the whole story would not happen. So what is the main clue, the thriving force of the story? For example, Peter getting out of the boat. If he would not have stepped out of the boat onto the water, the whole story would not have been told. So what made Peter to step out of the boat? Or the widow begging and begging and begging. That would be the driving force. The fourth question would be, what could be a modern translation of this situation? So the story I just told you, who is a Pharisee in our situation, in our society? A person with a high status who invites other famous people, who is judgmental, who would look at the woman like this. Who would be the woman in our society? We can wonder what would a dinner look like in our times. The fifth one is what speaks to you personally. You know, we often think, too much of Bible stories as study stories, but they are novels. We can also really let them speak to us and say, what do I like? Why do I like the story? And what do I find most interesting personally? Then also look at the story and see what is the message. Sometimes you teach in a curriculum, you have a certain message. Then, of course, the situation and the moment where this message occurs is the one you will give most emphasis. I hope that helps and I hope you feel that telling a story is possible and even fun. And the good thing is that a story carries a message and that the story is the important factor. So you are just the tool to bring the story to the people. I firmly believe a poorly told Bible story is better than no Bible story. Sometimes the most difficult part is to create a situation that you can tell the story. You know, you have to be open to tell a story. And maybe sometimes you can almost offer to tell a story. I know a woman who introduces herself as a storyteller. When people ask her what she's doing, she says, I'm a storyteller. And of course, often the people are surprised and 
Then they ask what kind of stories she tells. And then she says, oh, I tell all kind of stories, long ones, short ones about men, women, children, sickness, miracles, demons, love, or war, betrayal, you just name it. Well, and then very often the people ask, wow, <laughs> if she can tell them a story. And then, of course, she does. So she tells stories in a taxi, an airplane, at the hairdressers, or when she buys vegetables at the market. So have a story in your mind and look for situations to tell them. And we all learn by doing and experiences. So be bold and courageous and tell people the story you learned and prepared and be excited about it. Music